Hello, listeners. It has, once again, been quite some time since our last episode. Changing real-life circumstances, particularly surrounding the day job that gives me the money I need to feed my family, have significantly slowed the production of this podcast. However, we shan't give up. There is so much story ahead of us, and we've really only just begun. I hope that when Threat Dice pops up in your feed, even if it's a little less often than you might hope, you'll still continue enjoying our little tale here. And now, on with the show. Veritas includes scenes and descriptions of violence, death, blood, and danger. Listener discretion is advised. We remember the past so that we may understand the present. It is the only way we can hope to change the future. After barely escaping the massacre at Imperial Outpost Icaris and fleeing with their lives, Eris, Rhea, and Navar stopped to collect their thoughts at a nearby camp. With the scent of smoke still on the air, they slept not at all. They are ragged and worn thin, grasping at straws as they struggle to make sense of what just happened. With few options left, each of them offers an option that might give them a way to move forward. Navar, the venerable scout he is, would prefer to simply observe for a while. Rhea wants to hunt down those who did this to them and ensure they get exactly what they deserve. Aeris, though, nominally in charge due to his rank of Imperial Sergeant, thinks that the usurper on the throne would never have sent his men so far north unless they were actively looking for something. They recall a set of ruins about halfway between Icaris and the closest outpost to the south. It was a place that they once came to and observed, but left quickly due to a strange feeling in the air. After considering all three options, Eris decides that they will head to the ruins. What will they find there? Does his impossible leap of logic bear any grounding in reality? Or is it simply the fleeting hope of a man desperate to understand something incomprehensible? And what about the journey to reach it? They have eight leagues to cover over inhospitable and dangerous terrain. Will they even reach their goal before the wilds claim them? This is Veritas, a solo live play RPG powered by Trove. Chapter 2, Part 1 Rhea led them across the landscape. This place had long since lost any weight of fear it had once had for her. She'd spent her life serving and then fighting in the arenas, and at first the wide open spaces, 
and seemingly endless trees had caused her a bit of agoraphobia. Since then, though, she'd come to a sort of mutual respect for this place. The bite of terror had faded. She still didn't feel certain about the sergeant's plan, but she wasn't one to argue. He'd made up his mind, and there would be plenty of time yet to hunt down those that had hurt them. And when they did, oh yes, she would make them pay for every ounce of blood they had spilled. The biggest danger for all of them was the terrain. The Icaris outpost had been built atop a high ridge, giving them a very good look at the road leading up to it. The road itself wound up the side of the ridge, doubling back on itself as it climbed. The road was a difficult enough passage, and they could not use it, meaning that they would have to find another way to descend the ridge. That wasn't something they'd really had a reason to seek out. Their target? A ruin to the southwest, a little farther than halfway between Icaris and Betica, a large and loud native village, verging on town, that was theoretically under imperial control. Last time Rhea had been there, though, they hadn't looked much like Imperials. She didn't think that they really saw much in the way of imperialism this far north, no matter what the so-called emperors and their politicians claimed on their maps. The three of them had spread themselves over a few dozen yards, leaving each of them effectively alone in the wilderness. If she listened closely and moved quietly, she could hear the sergeant's steps through the brush behind her, following her trail. Navar, on the other hand, was utterly silent. The man could have been beside her or miles away, and she'd never have known the difference. It took most of the day by her circuitous route to reach the ridge itself, and then they began to move along it, searching for a way down. Rhea tried not to get too close to the edge. The drop in some places stretched more than 70 feet straight down. She got a little vertigo just thinking about it. The sun stretched toward the western horizon when she finally found it, a break in the sheer cliff that must have once been a raging river cutting deep into the rock face, but had long since slowed to a meager trickle. The long, angled bed of rock it had left behind would be a treacherous descent, for certain, but it was far, far better than trying to climb directly downward. She paused at the edge of the brush where the open rock took over and waited for the others to catch up. It didn't take long. Is this the best we've got? Adris asked, looking down over the ragged slope. Best we've seen for miles. Rhea sighed a little. <sighs> it's, it's not perfect, but I don't really know how much farther south we'd have to go to find a better way down. It'll level out eventually, but that could be days out of the way. We don't have that long, Adris said his mouth set into a grim line. We'll have to give it a shot. The sun will be gone soon, Navar observed, emerging from the brush like a shadow. That's going to be treacherous enough in the daylight. We'll break our necks trying to do it in the dark. Rhea saw Eris grit his teeth in reluctant agreement. You're right. Let's find a place to set up. He looked toward the sky. Only a slight breeze ruffled the trees. Long clouds stretched across the golden sunset. The weather seems to be with us, at least. Navar and Rhea groaned in unison. Oh, God, Sergeant. Rhea rubbed her face with the palm of her hand. 
Why do you go and say stuff like that? They found a campsite not too far away, close enough that they could hear the river's babble, but far enough so that they wouldn't give themselves away if anyone was watching. Even so, Navar dug a pit and burned the campfire below the ground a bit. Rhea arranged the leaves over them to disperse the smoke. They were about as camouflaged as they could be, while Navar cooked a medium-sized bird he'd caught. Eris went into the brush and emerged with some tubers, with a little river water and a pot that Navar had taken from Icaris, they were even able to make a bland but serviceable stew. We're going to need every ounce of energy we can get to go down there safely, Eris said as they waited for the cooked stew to cool. Rhea carved at a flat stick with her knife, hoping to make some sort of makeshift spoon so that they wouldn't have to eat the stuff with their hands, though it would still be better than nothing. I still don't know if I'll be able to sleep, Navar murmured. Rhea wasn't sure either. Her body ached for rest, but her mind still spun with the horrors they'd witnessed the night before. Had it really only been a day? It seemed a lifetime ago, and as though it were still happening. We should all try and get some rest, Aeris said. I'll take first watch, Navar volunteered. Make sure the fire gets out safely. Wake me in four hours then, Aeris said. What am I, chopped goat's liver? Rhea asked, half sarcastically. You boys aren't just doing that to make sure the lady gets her rest, eh? We just know you like the sunrise. Navar's dry sarcasm made her feel at least a little better. You're one of those people that have definitely never slept until noon in your boots just because you didn't have patrol that day. Rhea snorted. Right, right, early riser. That's me all over. They settled down for the night beneath the trees. Rhea found herself surprised how quickly sleep overtook her. It was dark and a little cold when she felt a hand on her shoulder. She awoke from dreams of flames and screaming into the blackness of early morning. Aders's dark eyes looked down at her. You were talking in your sleep, he murmured. She blurrily came around, blinking away the worst of her confusion. Don't think I'm going to be sleeping well for a while, Sergeant, she muttered working her dry tongue around in her mouth. I know, he answered, his voice pitched so low it would have been inaudible, save for the utter silence around them. Got a little misty the last hour or so. I'm sure it'll burn off with the morning sun. She nodded. Get some sleep. I'll do my best, he sighed back, heading for the makeshift pile of leaves he'd claimed as his own. She sat in silence. It was too cold to feel tired, and the fragmented remnants of her dreams had shattered her calm. She listened to the river and the wind, feeling the mist on her face, as she tried to think about anything other than what had happened at Icaris. She had failed at keeping her mind off her troubles for another uncountable time when she heard the first rumble of thunder in the distance. Her heart sank. The rain came first as the mist changed to a drizzle, mostly running off the leaves and boughs she'd bent around and over the campsite. Then it changed to a steady rain and started dripping into the makeshift shelter. With a sigh, she stood up and headed for the river. The rhythmic breathing of the two men told her that they were still asleep for now. That was good. Eris especially, with the broken watch, was still going to be tired unless he got as close to another full four hours as he could. 
Standing on the edge of the rocky riverbank, she could see the storm rolling in from the west. The sun was still an hour before it would have been first light behind them, but the flashes of lightning in the distance made it clear that there would be no sun today. The wind whipped around her as the storm came on. The droplets of rain grew larger and larger until they pelted her like sling stones. When they turned to ice and hail, she beat a hasty retreat back toward the campsite. The wind began to howl, the trees shaking and bending beneath the gale. By the time she got back, both Navar and Aeris were awake, looking haunted and a little panicked by what must have wakened them. Just as she stepped in through the hastily erected camouflage, lightning flashed brighter than the sun. An ear-splitting crack ripped through the campsite. Aeris and Navar looked stunned, but only Rhea could see the shattered and blackened tree falling straight toward the sergeant. Look out! She screamed into the house. Episode 2, Part 2 The dice did tell us, at the end of the last episode, that the weather would be catastrophically against our heroes during this journey. So now we know what that looks like, and we get to take a step back and look at a few more rules of trove. There are three basic types of die rolls in trove. You've already seen two of them back in episode one. The first kind is the challenge, where heroes will spend the trove they've accumulated in order to accomplish something. The second is the circumstance, where we just roll a basic d20 to get an idea about how something will go when it's totally out of the hero's control. That's the thing that got us into trouble about the weather and terrain here. The third role is the threat role. This is what happens when a hero is in direct and imminent danger, no matter what the source. Here's how this goes. Each hero, when they start out, can essentially absorb six hits. We'll call these menace. These are temporary conditions caused by danger and are assigned to one of their three attributes, strength, wit, and resolve. Where they are assigned to depends on the circumstances of what happens. If they take more damage once their menace slots are full, they start ticking down on the existential doom clock, which is sort of their backstop. The trick is, while menace can be removed by treating the condition inside the narrative, doom is permanent and can never be rolled back. If the hero's doom clock ever reaches midnight, they must leave the story. It isn't necessarily death, but they can't continue as a main character and their hero sheet must be retired. There's a bit more texture about this inside the full rule set, but for now, this is all we need to move forward. A threat roll works like this. When a hero is threatened by something, the narrator, that's me, will roll 2d6 using a custom result table. We call this special die a threat die. Longtime listeners may already know this. When you roll two threat dice, the possible results range from 2 to 8. Right now, Aeris is being attacked by a falling tree. Let's go ahead and roll the threat dice to see what he's going to have to respond to. The total threat is three. Not too bad. So now Aeris needs to respond. Defending against threat is, if you've played other RPGs before, sort of like a saving throw. Aeris will spend Trove to buy threat dice that he will roll. His goal is to match or beat the incoming threat. So in this case, he'll need at least a result of three to avoid taking menace. He currently has 7 trove, each die will cost him 1. Theoretically, he could just spend 3 trove to pass the test automatically, 
but he does know that he's going to have to descend a dangerous slope when this weather goes by, and who knows what other dangers might emerge from the storm. Eris can't use skills, but has to declare an attribute when defending against threat. In this case, he will resist using strength, which is his second highest attribute. So, in order to avoid this threat, Eris is willing to part with two of his trove to buy dice. The odds of success are moderate, but the impact of a single menace isn't too bad. He cares enough to try, but not enough to drain himself to just avoid this one danger. Let's find out what happens. Only a two. Not enough. He fails his defense roll, meaning that Aedris will suffer the first menace of our game. He's currently down to five trove, and he suffers a strength menace with a weight of one, indicating the differential between the incoming threat and his defense roll. Now, menace isn't always a physical injury. It could be just a condition that rattles your hero's mind or shakes their confidence. In this case, because Aedris chose to defend with strength, that is where the menace is assigned. Episode 2, Part 3 Time slowed to a crawl. Rhea watched, helplessly, as the tree crashed down toward Aedris and Navar. With his combat experience, Navar dove aside, tucking into a roll and disappearing from her view. Aedris, though, seemingly alerted by the sound of the branches crashing down upon him, stared dumbly upward as the descending trunk loomed over him. He raised his arms as though to stop it, simply stop it from crushing him. The bulk of the shattered tree missed him miraculously by about a foot, and he did not die on the spot. A smaller branch, though, clipped him in the shoulder and sent him spinning to the ground with a cry of pain and surprise. Damn it! Rhea spat into the wind and rushed to his aid. Aedris suffers menace, strength, bruised shoulder, weight one. As the storm raged on around them, Rhea dragged the sergeant free from the branches and deeper into the tree line where the wind was cut by the thick trunks around them. She could only hope it would be enough to keep the worst of it away. Navar joined them a few minutes later while the sergeant groaned in pain. Is he going to live? Navar asked her over the wind. It just clipped him, Rhea answered. It's going to hurt like the world is ending, but it doesn't look life-threatening. No blood, nothing obviously broken. That's what it is. Navar's voice was flat, his face expressionless. Nothing we can do till the storm passes anyway, Rhea sighed. She leaned over Aeris, who looked up at her through gritted teeth. This is your damn fault anyway, commenting on the weather like that? I mean, seriously, who does that? That forced a little laugh out of him, despite the pain in his eyes. Uh-huh. Definitely my fault. The storm raged for hours, but the worst of its wrath passed without further incident. As the wind died away toward the afternoon, Aedris managed to get himself back on his feet. They wrapped his shoulder with a few thin vines, providing a makeshift sling. It wasn't great, especially considering the descent they'd have to do to keep on their journey but it wasn't going to stop him. Rhea had made him work through all the usual exercises that she remembered from their training, and it definitely seemed to be more painful than anything else. He was damn lucky as what he was, she thought. They all were. No point in making the climb today, Navar observed as the day wore on. 
we'll lose the light before we're halfway to the bottom. Damn, Aeris grated. I hope we won't be too late. If we make it down to the bottom of the ridge, it'll be a straight shot from there, Rhea told them. We'll be there inside of two days. We could make it faster if we're willing to push it. We'll make that decision when we're all standing safely at the bottom, Aeris said. For now, let's get as much rest as we can and let the rocks dry out. We'll start the descent first thing in the morning. Rhea sighed again. This was a lot of trouble to get to some broken stones, especially given that they weren't even sure it was relevant. As she got herself settled back by the fire pit, with the smell of more tuber stew cooking, she looked at her companions and listening to the crackling of the flames and the distant babble of the river. All things considered, it could be worse. An image flashed before her mind's eye, and she pushed it away. The image of a legionnaire, stricken, as he died beneath the hands of someone he'd considered a friend. They would have to live with those images forever. She shuddered and turned her mind and attention back to the fire. There was a long and treacherous climb ahead of them. It was time to rest. At the next dawn, the pale sunrise brought Rhea a feeling of hope. They rose and prepared themselves as best they could. Aeris still showed signs of pain, but he could move the arm. That was promising. Do you think you can do this? Rhea asked him as they gathered their things. They didn't need to rush. The world needed more time to dry out anyway, so they took their time. He nodded, gritting his teeth a little. I can do this. About midday, when the rain had mostly dried by the warm day that followed the cool dawn, they steeled themselves and approached the long descent down the dried riverbed. Rhea's eyes darted from place to place as she looked for safety in the descent. A flat spot there, handholds there. It looked doable to her eyes. She could feel herself already formulating a plan. Rhea invokes experience, fail to plan plan to fail. She looked over at the others. Navar's face was firm and determined. Aeris, on the other hand, looked rather pale. A bit of flop sweat gathered on his brow. There is no way I can do this, he muttered, barely audible. Rhea let out a rolling laugh that thundered down into the crevice, mostly to cover up her own sense of unease if she'd have been honest with herself. But this was a time to lie, lie, lie to the animal fear that clawed at the back of her mind. Oh, it's not so bad, Sergeant, she said, starting to clap him heartily on the shoulder, then thinking better of it as her eyes fell on the makeshift sling. We'll be at the bottom before you even realize it. Uh-huh, he murmured breathlessly. Before I know it, right. I'll even go first, just to show you how it's done. Ray, challenge. Wit. Intention. Descend the cliff. Method. Careful plan steps and athleticism. Effort three. Raises two. Result. Fourteen plus two equals sixteen. Intended consequences. Success as described. Spend one for advantage. Post-challenge trove. Three. As she began the treacherous descent, Rhea had to keep reminding herself to breathe slowly. Her planning ahead had paid off. After a tough first section, she dropped down to that flattened area she'd noted from the top and took stock of her position. 
The angle was quite different from here, she realized. What looked to be a sheer drop down from the top was actually a fairly reasonable slope if approached from a different angle. That was quite promising. Now they just had to get the sergeant down here without breaking his neck. She turned around and called back up to the others. Send the sergeant down next, Navar. Avis, challenge, resolve. Intention, reach Rhea's position. Method, climb down with Rhea's bottom. Effort four, raises two. Result, 11 plus two equals 13. Spend advantage, plus one. Final result, 14. Unexpected consequences. Succeed with complication. Post-challenge trove, one. Aedas began the descent, wincing as he had to put weight on the injured arm. Rhea could see, even from far below him, that he was doing well despite the injury. He climbed on for some time until he reached the most treacherous part, fairly close to her position. You're doing great, Sergeant, she called up from below him. Just put your foot right there, right there, a little to the... Her words choked off as the foothold crumbled beneath his boot, sending rocks tumbling down toward her. She threw up her arms, but they mostly scattered around her. When she looked back up, he dangled from the cliff helplessly. It was only about 12 feet above her now. The footholds were destroyed, which would definitely make it harder for Navar, but she might be able to... Just drop, Sergeant. I'll catch you. She called a little breathlessly. What? He exclaimed. Just do it, you idiot. She yelled, feeling the wash of fear that turned to anger as her adrenaline spiked. He started to say something else, but the rock he gripped for dear life also crumbled, and he plunged, screaming, from the side of the cliff directly toward her. With practice from her time doing stunts in the arena, she wrapped her arms around him as he fell, and they both tumbled to the rock in front. Rhea could see in her mind's eye the momentum of the drop carrying them both over the ledge. They rolled for several feet, drawing perilously close to a hundred-foot drop by the waterfall, but Rhea clawed at the rock and slowed them just enough to stop them before their fate was sealed. They stood and brushed themselves off, sending sand and small bits of brush tumbling away. Nice catch, Ader said, rubbing his shoulder. Rhea grinned, a little desperate, a little slantwise. That had been a closer call than she'd have liked. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for leaving me such an easy and pleasant way down, Navar called down to them with a rather thick layer of sarcasm. Eris just shrugged helplessly back at the elder man, wincing as he did. Rhea grimaced. There was no way to heal an injury like that. Come on down, old man, she taunted him. You can do it. Navar, challenge, resolve. Intention, reach Rhea's position. Method, spot advantageous positioning and move toward it. Effort, five, raises one. Result, 16 plus one equals 17. Intended consequences, success as described. Spend one for advantage. Post-challenge trove, three. Despite the established track having crumbled beneath Aeris's inexpert climbing, Rhea watched with no small amount of admiration as Navar picked his way down. He even found places she hadn't noticed, making the descent look simple. He barely had to climb overhand at all. When he reached the ledge with them, Rhea snorted at him. Show off. He just grinned in return. Well then, Navar said, looking down over the rest of the descent. That doesn't look so bad, does it? 
Not nearly so bad as what's behind us, Anders said, a little short of breath. Thank you both for your help. I'll make sure this expedition is worth the trouble. Nothing for it but to get going, then, eh? Freya asked. Right. Anders looked at the slope, then down at the wilderness below. We're still going the right way. Freya just nodded. Good, then. I'll take the lead for a while. Just hiss at me if I start going off course. Aeris flashed a cockeyed grin at her, and she shook her head with a smile. Sure about that, Sergeant? That arm doesn't look so good, she warned. He shrugged and winced again. It's fine. It needs the work more than it needs to be coddled. She nodded. All right, then. Lead on, O oh fearless one. That night around the campfire, Rhea saw to another thorough check of Adris's shoulder. You were right, Sergeant, she said. You've got a nasty bruise, but there's no evidence that anything's torn or broken. You got damnably lucky. It's already starting to feel better, Adris agreed. He stretched it and winced, but not as sharply as before. I think it'll be right as rain with another good night's sleep. Adris addresses menace, bruised shoulder, removed. Navar groaned audibly. Please don't mention rain. We'll be on those ruins by sundown tomorrow, Rhea told them. We made better time than I expected with the new route. No offense, Sergeant, but that place gave me the creeps when we were there before. Is it bad if I truly hope that there is absolutely nothing there of interest? No, I understand, Adris agreed. But despite that, I have to hope that there's something there. Something that might give us a clue about what Grison wants with these wilds. She looked at Navar, but he remained impassively silent. Navar invoked experience. Silence is golden. Rhea heaved a sigh. Well, okay then. One more sleep before it's over, I guess. What's that? Avis asked. Just something we used to say in the arena, reminding ourselves every day that the next one might be the last. Rhea invoked experience, gladiator. That's rather grim. So is the arena. Fair enough. Aira sipped at the wooden bowl of bland stew they'd managed to cook up. I'm going first into those ruins tomorrow. This was my idea, and I'll be damned if I'm going to let one of you take a fall for me. Aira invoked experience, fearless leader. She started to protest but he held up a hand. No, I'm serious. You've both taken enough risks so far. This next one is on me. Don't worry, Sergeant, Navar said from the fireside. We won't be far behind you. Yeah, Rhea cracked her knuckles. If there's any Imperials there, our first priority is information, Adris reminded them. If there's anyone there, we stay quiet unless we absolutely have no other choice. She let out a long, suffering sigh. <sighs> You're killing me, Sergeant. Right, okay then. They slept, perhaps a bit better on this night. Maybe it was just the sense of purpose of moving forward, but Rhea's dreams did not haunt her quite as badly. As the sun grew long on the third day, they reached a ridge into a shallow valley. At the center lay the remnants of a structure long forgotten by time, made of stones stacked at odd and fallen angles. 
The stones themselves seemed impossibly large, even from this distance. Rhea had no idea who or what could have lifted such things. A strange mist hung in the valley, one unlike anything she'd seen before, anywhere. A strange cloying smell wafted on the breeze. It set her teeth on edge. Are we ready for this? Ares asked them both in a low voice. We're right behind you, Sergeant, Rhea said. Navar said nothing, but his eyes were fixed on the stones. With Ares in the lead and his compatriots close behind, they approached the ruins, feeling the fear crawling on the backs of their necks and tightening like the hangman's noose. Thank you for listening to Threat Dice. I hope that you are enjoying our new tale, powered by the upcoming Trove RPG. If you're enjoying the series, one of the best ways you can help is by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on Twitter, at TumbleDie, or on the web at www.tumbledie.com. Threat Dice and Veritas are a production of TumbleDie Games, LLC. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wigan. Music featured in this episode, licensed CC BY, include Lifeless Eyes Watching and Last Stand by Vince Vept. Check out his work at vincevept.bandcamp.com. The narrator's theme was written by Kyellen, that's me, for this series. The ending theme is Carved in Stone, also by Kyellen. More of my music at soundcloud.com slash cc That's K-Y-E-L-L-A-N dash C-C. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.